Hey, this is David Pakman inviting you to enjoy a classic episode of The David Pakman Show today. We will return with new shows before you know it. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Most of our audience knows that the year is 2020. We are one of the richest countries in the world, and there are endless food lines in Texas of people lining up at a food bank to get food. More than 6,000 cars and 25,000 people lined up to get free food from the North Texas Food Bank. This is the largest food giveaway ever by this food bank. Most people in the line received a turkey, some dry products, bread and fresh produce. Each person was given about 20 meals worth of food, according to the food bank. At least 40 percent of the people waiting for food were new to that food bank and there because of the virus. There's a report from the Institute for Policy Research at Northwestern University from June, which reported that food insecurity has doubled in the United States and tripled for families with kids as a result of the pandemic. And when you look at the pictures and video of this and you realize this is optional, you have to be asking questions about why this is going on. We are not a country with no money and lacking resources. We throw out a third or more of the food that we produce. It's even more if you count all stages of the food production process, including stuff that's left in the fields because it would not be physically attractive enough to be worth it to send to a grocery store. We have a president that in the midst of this pandemic is just absent. Donald Trump has not taken questions in weeks. Uh, in the time since the election, he's only been seen three times. Once was 2 a.m. on election night claiming he won. One was laying a wreath on Veterans Day and one was taking credit a week ago for coronavirus vaccines that are upcoming reportedly without taking a single question. He's not answered a single question from the media in weeks. And we have food lines as the president is gone. He's played golf twice in the last week, but he's not spoken to the media in three weeks. Remember when Donald Trump Jr. talked about how this is America. We don't have the food lines, the bread lines like he supposedly saw in supposedly communist countries. Well, we, we do have them. He's just wrong. I guess these would I guess the difference is these are capitalist bread lines rather than communist bread lines for all the talk about communist bread lines. And this will never be a socialist country. This seems pretty damn dystopian to me. This is Texas, a capitalist state in the US, a capitalist country filled the state and the country with capitalists everywhere. Socialism and communism are now just euphemisms for anything Republicans don't like for the government doing something. We know that at this point. And by the way, how many people in the bread lines were the very people decrying socialist bread lines along with Donald Trump on Twitter just months ago? It is Texas, after all. It's as much a red state as it is a blue state, although it was close this election. The real socialism is that the red states and in particular red counties are regularly bailed out by blue states and blue counties. Think about this. On average, red states are dramatically more dependent on the federal government 
than blue states. And in fact, the blue states are subsidizing the red states by paying in more to the federal government than they get out, while the red states on average get much more from the federal government than they pay in. But then you can go even further. Look at it at the county level. The counties that Donald Trump won in the election in the whole country only contribute to 30 percent of our overall economy. The counties Joe Biden won contribute 70 percent to the overall economy economy. So think of those numbers and think of the hypocrisy of these people talking about self-sufficiency and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and dependence on the government. It's the red counties and the red states that overwhelmingly depend on the blue counties and the blue states. They'll never admit it. They'll never even understand it. They'll never hear about it. And yet we have the very same breadlines that Donald Trump Jr. and others decry as merely a feature or a bug, I guess, depending on your perspective of so-called socialist and communist countries. It's pathetic, guys. We have real problems to solve. And Trump is just missing. Yesterday, this entire bogus voter fraud narrative from the Trump campaign that claims Joe Biden stole the election came to an incredible climax as Rudy Giuliani and other Trump lawyers held a press conference in Washington, D.C. That was beyond parody. First of all, Rudy Giuliani appeared to melt during the event. First, he was sweating uncontrollably, and then it looked like he was bleeding out of both of his ears. It actually apparently was melting hair dye. I mean, the, the optics of this are absurd. He had what looked like dried blood down the sides of his face. What reportedly was hair dye that under the hot lights in the basement of the RNC or wherever they were was starting to melt. The content was no more sensible. Uh, during the press conference, they blamed the following entities in part for stealing the election from Donald Trump. Democrat run cities, Democrat mayors, Dominion voting systems. Here we go now. Cuba, Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, Nicolas Maduro, poll workers, election officials, and I'm probably forgetting some. Uh, oh, George Soros, which we will get to. No good right wing conspiracy is complete until you include a rich Jewish man in it. That's almost a requirement at this point in time. First, did they present proof of fraud? They did not. Just more complaints about circumstances. Take a listen. Night, seven or eight hundred thousand in Pennsylvania. Somehow he lost Pennsylvania. We have statisticians willing to testify that that's almost statistically impossible to have happened in the period of time that it happened. But of course, that's just speculation. Right. It is speculation. I'm glad Rudy acknowledges that. And it continued. Which um, to any experienced investigator, prosecutor would suggest that there was a, a plan from a centralized place to execute these various acts of voter fraud, specifically focused on big cities and specifically focused on, as you would imagine, big cities controlled by Democrats. I don't know, guys, uh, big cities controlled by Democrats starting to sound like shorthand for places with lots of black people talking about Philadelphia and Detroit and others. Then this is real. This is not a skit. Rudy reenacted a scene from the film My Cousin Vinny and then casually accused Joe Biden's campaign of committing crimes and fraud. Take a look. Hey 
probably the closest they got is from here to the back of that room. We could do like a, uh, did you all watch My Cousin Vinny? Did, you know the movie? My, it's one of my favorite uh, law movies because he comes from Brooklyn. And uh, when the, the nice lady who said she saw, and then he, uh, he, he says to her, how many f fingers do I, how many fingers do I got up? And she says, uh, three. Well, she was too far away to see it was only two. These people were further away than my cousin Vinny was from the witness. They couldn't see a thing. Now, I don't know. You're going to tell me that 60 people are lying? They, they, they didn't just tell me this. They swore under penalty of perjury, which is something no Democrats ever done. So this is probably a good time to talk about affidavits as evidence versus affidavits as proof. They talk about the fact that they have affidavits as proof that there was fraud. Really important to understand this. An affidavit is a form of evidence which, much like testimony from a witness, could be admissible or not, depending on the specifics, depending on the court and the circumstances. Sometimes a court will say, OK, the, we've seen the affidavit. We need to bring in the witness to actually uh, testify to this in court. And an affidavit, much like witness testimony, could be ruled out as hearsay or not. OK, so the fact that affidavits exist, they claim is proof of fraud when it is not. Your affidavit may or may not be used as evidence. Your affidavit, much like testimony, could be considered by a judge or jury credible or not credible. Affidavits are not proof. All right. There are sworn affidavits about Bigfoot. What that means is that an individual is willing to testify to that. It doesn't mean that the testimony would necessarily be credible or proof of anything. Rudy then goes on to say that, listen, if you don't count Wayne County, which is where Detroit is in Michigan, Trump wins that state. Take a listen to this in one eighty twenty. So you see a change as a result of the of that of the election in, in Michigan. If you take out Wayne County. So it's a very significant case. Now, it just so happens that Wayne County has one point seventy five million people in it and Michigan's total population is 10 million. So what Rudy is saying is if you do, for some reason, if you were to not count a county that has nearly 18 percent of the state's population, then the other candidate would win. Oh, OK, that's not how this works, though. That's a very strange thing to say. And then Rudy Giuliani says that uh, they are looking at potentially trying to overturn the results in this long laundry list of states, uh, which. And we have a significant number of allegations in the state of Virginia. I don't know yet whether the number in Virginia will reach the number that can turn uh, the election in the states that we have indicated in red, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada and Arizona. We more than double the number of votes needed to overturn the election in terms of provable illegal ballots. All you got to do to find out if I'm misleading you at all is to look at the lawsuits. They had a map up as well with those states in red delusional. Then in came Sidney Powell, who is another one of Trump's attorneys. And she this sounded like a Sean Hannity monologue talking about take the country back because Trump won to know right now that we will not be intimidated. American patriots are fed up with the corruption from the local level to the highest level of our government. And we are going to take this country back 
We are not going to be intimidated. We are not going to back down. We are going to clean this mess up now. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. And we are going to reclaim the United States of America for the people who vote for freedom. This is a lawyer, supposedly. Take the country back. Trump won by a landslide. This is insane. And then it got really wild. Another lawyer, Jenna Ellis, took the mic and she started attacking the media for how they were going to report on this completely unhinged event. Take a look at this. And I'm the senior legal advisor uh, to the Trump campaign. And I'd like to just explain now uh, where we've been and where we're at and what you can expect from this process. So what you have heard, I'm sure, in the fake newspapers tomorrow will be one of two things. Either there was not sufficient evidence that we've presented or we spoke too long. Okay, so what you've heard now is an, basically an opening statement. This is what you can expect to see when we get to court to actually have a full trial on the merits, to actually show this evidence in court and prove our case. This is not a law and order episode where everything is neatly wrapped up in 60 minutes. You know, another difference from law and order episodes is that law and order episodes contain actual crimes. We still have no evidence that any crimes took place here. And then when the questions started, Rudy Giuliani was still melting. The hair dye was just running down his face, looking like he had two ears that were bleeding. And then, of course, as I said, no good right wing conspiracy theory is complete until you can include a rich Jewish man in it, which Rudy did during the Q&A portion of the event, talking about George Soros with a company whose chairman is a close associate and business partner of George Soros, the biggest donor to the Democrat Party, the biggest donor to Antifa, and the biggest donor to Black Lives Matter. My goodness, what do we have to do to get you to give our people the truth? It, it always is a better conspiracy from the standpoint of the right. If you can pull in a rich Jewish man, it's a better conspiracy. And then Rudy Giuliani caps this off by saying, listen, none of us are engaging in fantasy, but Trump actually won Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania and Michigan. I don't know what you need to wake you up to do your job and inform the American people, whether you like it or not, of the things they need to know. This is real. It is not made up. It is not. There's nobody here that engages in fantasies. I've tried 100 cases. I prosecuted some of the most dangerous criminals in the world. I know crimes. I can smell them. You don't have to smell this one. I can prove it to you 18 different ways. I can prove to you that he won Pennsylvania by 300,000 votes. I can prove to you that he won Michigan by probably 50,000 votes. No fantasies here, guys. Just Rudy claiming Trump won states that Trump obviously lost. Some say this is merely sad. Reportedly, Rudy is charging 20 grand a day to represent Trump. So if he's actually getting paid that Trump has a reputation for not paying people that work for him, Rudy is making a fool out of himself. Yes, but he's potentially being compensated quite handsomely. Parodies of themselves. How do you make a satire of that if you are Saturday Night Live? You can't. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'm on Twitter at dpacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com.
the number one funding source for the David Pakman Show has been and continues to be membership. And membership is not just a feel-good thing. You get access to the world-famous bonus show every single day just for members, as well as commercial-free audio and video feeds of the show day in and day out. You can sign up for membership very, very quickly at joinpacman.com. That's join, P-A-K-M-A-N.com. If the normal prices strike you as high, by all means, use the coupon code VOTESOON18, all one word, all lowercase. Become a member today. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, let's hear from some folks in our audience. It's been another busy week, and I want to see what's on your mind. We are now taking calls via Discord. You can join the Discord at davidpackman.com slash Discord. Very, very exciting things happening there. I think we have uh, maybe even breached 7,000 Discord members, and it only launched, I think it was like somewhere between two days and seven months ago. So that's that's a lot. Let's go first to Tim from Boston. We'll take a local call. Tim from Boston, what's going on? Hey, David, can you hear me? Yeah, are you, where are you? Are you at Fenway? Uh, is it that one? I'm sorry, let me fix that for you. <laughs> uh, I'm actually near Fenway, though. Um, yeah, David, hey. Um, so thanks for taking my call. Um, so, you know, we saw some big wins uh, for direct democracy with uh, all the ballot initiatives. Uh, during the election, but I really want to know your opinion on the efficacy of this new form of direct democracy that's becoming popular. Uh, I'm working on a website called Turk.io. That's T-U-R-Q.io. This website enables everyday people to collaborate on writing citizen legislation that then gets submitted to various legislatures. The idea is that this form of direct democracy isn't people voting on every issue, rather people, uh, everyday people having a hand in the actual writing of the law. What are your thoughts on the efficacy of citizens having a hand in the drafting of the actual law? Um, and listen, uh, given the fact that as- uh, given the fact that I don't know anything about this website, are you affiliated with this website? Yes, sir. I am. You are okay. So in the future, I would mention that up front because that it makes it sketchy when I have to I have to figure out that you're actually affiliated with the website, even though it was kind of obvious because you were like reading off of it, you know. Oh, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Prepped the I would script say just I would start sure by I saying I am associated with a website, so I know nothing about the website. G- here's what I would say. Given that 72 million people thought it was a good idea to vote for Donald Trump, I question whether letting random people write laws is a good idea. I am very much for ballot initiatives. I am very much for, you know, restructuring our system from the standpoint of campaign finance, ranked choice voting and all of these other things. Letting random people write laws to me, there's a lot of questions around it. I'd want to think more about it. Yeah, I mean, we see that with uh, open source software all the time where, you know, we let all kinds of people participate in writing uh, open source software. Um, we do. I are... think the stakes are maybe a little different, though, between making you know law and uh, writing software. Well, a lot of open source software is actually used to like keep airplanes in the sky and and, and things like that. So we a lot of our infrastructure, both from safety and financial reasons, and in all kinds of ways, uh, open source software is leveraged to, for those. Uh, so the idea is that uh, you know citizens, uh, if there's a, a technology check, so that you know terms of service are met, and uh, you know only 
uh, the, the best quality legislation is actually, you know, uh, pulled in and, and put to use the same way that, you know, we process as we see in open source legis- uh, in open source software, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I uh, think, again, the difference with software is to, to even participate in that process, you need to know how to write software. And the, the difference would be any random person might say, hey, yeah, I want to I want to write law. I think it's an interesting idea. I want to increase the way I want to I want to increase the connection so that our our elected officials more accurately reflect the desires of the people that I do want, whether it's letting random people write law, I'm I'm unsure of, but I appreciate the question. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, David. And just a quick plug to just say that, you know, the number of people that each individual representative has to, uh, you know, account for and write legislation for uh, increases every day. Um, so that's another reason why this idea of, of an alternative direct democracy where the people can actually participate in writing the laws or the legislation for the things that impact them uh, is an idea that isn't isn't something I came up with, even though I'm affiliated with this one website. Got it. This concept of get laws is pretty popular. Got it. All right. Very good. I will evaluate its popularity. There is Tim from Boston. Let's go next to Becky from Birmingham. Now, is this Birmingham, England or Birmingham, Alabama? Oh, hello, David. Sorry. It's Birmingham in the UK. Oh, it is. Okay. I was (laughs) expecting a completely different accent. (laughs) No, no, definitely the lazy voice. If you hear a lazy voice, it's Birmingham in England. That's us. Now, it's just really quickly. So I've got two real questions here for you. So our government have recently voted against feeding disadvantaged children during the school holidays, as well as opening all the schools around the country, almost like a petri dish for the virus to just mutate around children. How are any of these choices that our governments are making, how are they helping at the moment? And have you seen anything similar at the moment in the United States and the neighboring states? In terms of taking care of kids who are depending on on being in school for something like just even having meals every day, you're saying? Yeah, so for both, um, so we have things here called free school meals. Yeah. Um, so similar to when children go to school in the US and have their meals there as well. Right. Um, it's that sort of a feeling, really. They've they've not helped out for the disadvantaged children who maybe don't have their laptops at home to work from home or, or maybe don't have the necessary food allowance to be able to buy that much food for a week with that. I mean, unfortunately, uh, there's been no uh, well-organized federal effort to do that here in the United States. Unfortunately, we have this disgusting reality in the U.S. where it's one of the richest countries Mm -hmm. in the world. And yet um, you still have many kids who are going to bed hungry. You have many kids who are counting on getting a free lunch or a reduced price lunch at school when there's no school because of the pandemic. What do they do now? There have been some local efforts and I don't have a list in front of me, but there has been there have been local efforts at the municipality level, maybe even some at the state level, although I'm not sure to continue providing the lunches, even if there's no school. And I think that that's a great thing. Better would be to solve this problem where why why do we have hunger in a country as rich as the United States? But yeah, unfortunately, yeah. nothing, nothing um, a structural and and federally organized has been done on that. It's 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 pretty sad. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing here as well. There's actually um, a famous footballer. Um, I don't know if it's hit the news over in the US as well. Um, a footballer by the name of Marcus Rashford has been campaigning for free school meals mm. around the UK at the moment to make sure that these children are actually getting fed. They are actually being able to learn on a full stomach rather than being extremely right. hungry during their time. 
Um, so there is little things going on like that, but the government have just declined it really and said, no, nope, we're not doing that. We'll just throw that to the side. I do think there are some European countries that have better dealt with some of these issues. But but again, you know, I, I was I don't have details in front of me because I, you know, I, I never know what people are going to ask about. But it is um, a real tragedy that this is uh, going on in so many different places. Yeah, definitely. Well, it has been absolutely fantastic to speak to you. What do you think the outcome is just in general of what what could happen in these situations now? Just a, a brief overview of Will the children ever get fed? Will they ever go back to school properly? Yeah, they will, will go back to school. They will go back to school, but then we'll go back to still having all of the problems we had when the pandemic hit. So there, there's a lot of work, uh, certainly, certainly to do um, and a bigger topic for, you know, an entire show about education, quite frankly. But Becky, I, I really appreciate you calling in today. No worries at all. And it's been lovely to speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about. So thank, thank you. you. Likewise, <laughs> uh, same same on this side of the microphone. Very much appreciate that. OK, we're hearing from people uh, via discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. I want to go next to um, let's go to Matt from Windsor. Now, Windsor could be any one of a number of states or even Canada or the UK. So when you say Windsor, what where are we talking about? Windsor, Ontario, sir. Ah, Ontario. Very good. Uh, what's going on there? Well, you kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting to get called in today, so thank you for taking my call. Oh, you um, were trying to get on, though, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't uh, totally shock you. Oh no, absolutely. But you were yeah. good. All right, very uh, good. Um, I want to actually ask you: before the election took place and Joe Biden was elected president, Donald Trump said in several rallies that he wanted to implement patriotic education, and yes. your reaction most of the time was like, "Woof, whatever." But um, I actually have cousins that live in Plymouth, Michigan, in okay. Wayne County. And I was kind of worried at the moment because it seems like very much right-wing fascist propaganda to implement uh, patriotic education. This is something you probably see in uh, Nazi Germany, not to go that far, or North Korea. So how would Donald Trump be able to implement that if he were to be reelected or could he even do that during his time as a lame duck in office? You know, I really don't think he could, um, uh, Matt, because most education in the United States is based on state boards of education. So do, the, the things Trump could do are sign an executive order directing governors to tell boards of education in their states to implement what Trump considers to be patriotic education. That'd be one example. Um, this the Department of Education could make certain funds available to states only if they implement so, you know it. But the point is, there's no direct way in which Donald Trump would be able to do that. Now, that being said, there's many Republican governors and state legislatures that would be glad to put pressure on the Board of Education in their states to start doing again whatever is being thought of as as patriotic education. But there's really no way for Donald Trump to directly do it. No. Right. Well, yeah, um, up until the point where the election started, I want to tell you that don't feel so bad about what's going on in the United States. I mean, in other countries, we have elections that are going on, and especially here in Canada, we have a really bad system with the government that we have in which we almost had an election a week before your election because of how, you know, scandalous and corrupt our government actually is with the Trudeau government. What, what did they do that's corrupt? So this is going back about a couple months ago, and this is not even that corrupt, but here, here in Canada, 
you can get you can get uh, corrupted. You can get you can be corrupt by bribing pizza. This is actually a real story. Go back and look at it. Uh, there's a We Charity here in Canada called the We Charity, and the Trudeau government gave about 750 million dollars, or around that margin, to benefit schools and other uh, organizations in Canada. But what happened was. Uh, his mother and his brother gave speeches at these conventions for the We Charity, and majority of the money that the Trudeau government spent into the We Charity would have gone to his mother and his brother for those speeches. So wait a second, hold on a second. You're saying you're saying that the his mother and brother got the the lion's share of seven hundred and fifty million for some speeches? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, that seems extremely hard to believe. Uh, they so th- uh, they're like billionaires. You're saying almost. Well, I might. I'm not exactly sure because. Yeah, I, I would double check. I, I'm going to I'm going to kind of pause this because I've not heard of this and the numbers are sounding. They're not passing the sniff test, Matt. But let's look into it and follow up. OK. OK, my apologies. Thank All right. You very good. Matt from Windsor, Canada. There we go. I uh, want to be careful with those uh, numbers for sure. Let's go to Craig from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Craig from Montreal. You were on the air. Hi, David. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. It's my first time calling into any show. So thanks for having me. Well, listen, um, um, you, I don't know if you know this. Montreal, one of my favorite places in the uh, northeast of the um, of, of the continent, I guess I would say. That's a specific part of the continent. But I, I love <laughs> that, you know, we're over New York City, I guess, in that ranking. Well, I didn't uh, say over. I said one of my favorites. OK, I'm going to yeah. stop getting cocky here. But <laughs> I, I, it's actually good that you got another Canadian on the line because I was just listening to the We Charity comments. Yeah, he's not. Obviously, the numbers were way off that he gave. Right. Uh, but the scandal does exist. So the his uh, his mother, Margaret Trudeau, got paid uh, at around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. OK, so a big difference right. that I believe <laughs> that sounds um, that certainly sounds like the type of cronyism we've come to be very accustomed to in the United exactly. States. Exactly. The yeah. the program itself, uh, they were given around nine hundred million dollars. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some of these payments, like his uh, Trudeau's wife got like fifteen hundred dollars for speech. Yeah. It's like, you know, and I I I. I hate this kind of corruption and and it's part of why I'm calling you. I guess I'm a little bit vague. I don't have a direct question, but something that you talk about frequently on the show is how the world is sadly looking at the U S right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's something that's, we're looking at the U S sad, but we're also feeling that influence spreading into our countries as well. Um, and, and, you know, just in Montreal in the last couple of months, we had a Trump rally um, not a Trump rally, sorry, a Trump protest kind of, um, where it was an anti-mask mixed with Trump 2020 protest. Oh dear God. And this is in Montreal, Quebec, you know, that's insane. So just to say how far this spreads and how far this mentality of misinformation, um, goes deeper than just Donald Trump. And I I have a a really hard time putting putting my finger on this phenomenon and and knowing how we can defeat it. Because once facts are out of the game or once reasonable conversation is out, um, you know, and I feel like what the last two sentences I just said are said on the right too. Like they say, we're not reasonable. We don't want to talk. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Trump, uh, Trump protests in Montreal are quite a, quite a new, that that's a new level that that's pretty wild. Now, let me ask you this within Canada. How do the, what is the, the, the perception of like, okay, in Europe, it tends to be, 
you look to the country to the West and you think you're better than them. So the Spanish think they're better than the Portuguese and the French think they're better than the Spanish, you know, so on and so forth in Canada. Do the Quebecois think they are better than the non French Canadians or how does that hierarchy work? So that's interesting, you know, and you're talking I'm actually a French Canadian. I've just been lucky to speak. I went to Ontario for school uh, Mm -hmm. for a little while, so I speak really good English. But uh, so I'm actually French Canadian. So coming from this background, there is I'd say the whole separatism thing and uh, French English like culture war has definitely, you know, died down over the last few decades. But don't forget, like our last referendum to separate from Canada was in in the 90s. Right. So it's not these these legacies aren't far off. And there's still people like that I grew up with that are are for the Parti Québécois, which is, uh, you know, separatist. And there's still um, there's actually left wing parties in Quebec, like uh, Quebec Solidaire, for example, that have extremely awesome left wing ideas and uh, really want uh, mul- like our, our pro multiculturalism, environmentalism, and stuff, but also have separatist ideas. Interesting. So it's 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 a, a funny mix of stuff here going on in Quebec. But my main issue, like you were saying, though, yes, Quebec, like there is something called the Western alienation in Canada, where the the Western provinces, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Alberta, feel alienated by the eastern provinces because that's where the economy is the biggest and right. also where the heads of power are. So it sounds um, like you're saying you do think you're better than Matt from Windsor. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't I would love to take that back. No, uh, it, it's it, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I find the left. It's hard to be on the left sometimes because I want to be on the left with a government like Trudeau, but they lose credibility with their corruption and he was in blackface. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, it's hard to take them seriously. And you also have new parties coming in like the People's Party of Canada, which is kind of a Trump, uh, kind of a Tea Party-ish vibe. So gotcha. I'm worried about all these powers coming up in countries that are known to be really liberal. That yes, that is a that is a global a global trend. Well, listen, I appreciate the call. Have you ever been to the great cafe Tommy in old Montreal? Absolutely. I used That's to a go great spot. There. That's uh, one yes. of my favorite if you, spots. If you come back, I'd recommend going to Cafe Myriad. OK, very good. And the, the coffee will be appropriate there. I won't have. a. Problem. Oh, absolutely. I've even worked there, so I, I vouch for them. Very good. All right. Craig from Montreal. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Very good. We're going to take a quick break. If you are holding on to talk to me, please don't hang up because we're going right back to the phones. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. The David Pakman Show is audience supported media, and you can contribute any amount you want on Patreon as little as one dollar per month. Plus, you can get the daily bonus show, world famous at this point, and the daily commercial free TV show by making those pledges at patreon.com slash David Pakman show. This is audience supported media. We depend on the support of our viewers and listeners, whether you listen to the podcast, watch on YouTube or watch us on TV or even listen on the radio. Patreon.com slash David Pakman show. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. All right, let's hear from a few more people via Discord at davidpakman.com slash Discord. Going next to Nick from Brooklyn, my old stomping ground. Nick from Brooklyn, 
What uh, what neighborhood are you in? Oh, hey, I'm in Bensonhurst. Bensonhurst. I spent uh, I spent uh, a, a week there one night, if you know what I mean. I, you know, uh, that could that I could interpret that in several <laughs> ways. So, you what's, know, I'm so, taking the best. What's going on? One. What's going on, man? Uh, I am a little curious, honestly, not necessarily anything more so just your opinion on kind of the future of the country. And I notice a lot of people, you know, a lot of people on the Republican side, they, they, they see they seem to just see the world in a different way and an aspect that like when we look when, when we look at things with this election you know we seem to see things as very obvious as like well very obviously there isn't data to support certain things like all these fraudulent claims all these things you know nothing can be substantiated yeah but a lot of times when i when, when i see or like when i discuss like with my parents or w- w- when i see a lot of people on the republican side it seems that their interpretation of the world is like so far removed from the reality that it's kind of I'm kind of curious to see how the left can bring over these people that see the world so differently. Yeah. If it's if they aren't even willing to accept anything different in the first place. This is a huge issue. And obviously, right. There's a this is a particularly acute problem right now because of Trumpism and all sorts of wild claims. Nothing is ever too crazy for the Trumpists to defend. But this is also just a bigger issue in America. You know, the country is so big. I spent some time, for example, in rural northern Indiana a couple of years ago and spending time mm. there made me understand, like, of course they voted for Trump. All there is is evangelical churches. So your your entire socializing is happening in evangelical churches where abortion is this major issue. One of the few things there is to do is to shoot guns. So it's like, of course, they're not going to vote for somebody like Joe Biden, whether or not they think Joe Biden's a socialist. Like if that's your environment for your first 18 years, obviously you're voting for a Republican when you turn 18, whether or not they can credibly claim to be pro-life or not. I don't know what to do about that. This is just a, a bigger issue, period. And it, it yeah. you know, we have to think about the de- deprogramming of, of tens of millions of people from cult like beliefs. Um, we're going to be yeah, doing exactly. some interviews about it. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, as many as many issues and, and, and policies we can put forth, to, you know, right. you know, try to better the world around us, because it's it's one thing when it's just like, you know, we we have like the two parties to have like or we have several, but, you know, generally bipartisan, to, 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 you know, to, for people to express different beliefs and thoughts. But it seems more so it's not just an expression of different thought. It seems like some are you know, a lot more. I'm trying to think of what what the term would be. Well, for, but this, these are cultural issues more than they are policy. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just kind of curious, not necessarily that you'd have a, a, a complete answer to it, but what do you think would be a good way we can at least attempt to move the culture? I mean, like one, one thing that would could be. be if we mm. could, on average, get everybody one additional year of education, it would actually make an electoral difference. And what I mean by that is you take all the people who who dropped out of school after middle school to at least go one year to high school. Everybody who never went to college, take a year of class. Like if, if you just upped the average education by a year, which is a lot like that's a cra- when you have a country of three hundred and thirty million to increase the average schooling by one year is cr- it's a crazy uh, uh, undertaking that alone, yeah. I think, because of we knowing the relationship between education and how people vote, 
that would be huge in and of itself. So I do think education is a big part of it, but there are cultural aspects to it that that are huge. It's a it's a big topic. I wish I had the answers. Yeah, no, I, I'm not expecting you to. I just I, I I'm just very curious to see what your perspective would be and like yeah. how maybe a cultural shift could occur in the first place. Just yeah. because it's still so surprising to me, like you know, seeing just so much of the country believe in such a cult like behavior. Yeah. Cultural shifts are very slow. There's no the, the the ways that you get fast cultural shifts are usually because of a dictator. And so we don't that's that we don't want that. We have to accept that it's going to be a longer process. Yeah, fair enough. And and final final thing, do you also feel that because of Trump coming into the country that it's because I feel like yes, cultural shifts do happen slowly, but this has been or maybe these are just all people been in hiding or maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. I not think necessarily, Trump, but you know, I don't with think Trump, with I Trump, think he's really brought out a lot exactly. in the culture that we haven't seen before. Exactly. I don't think Trump created these people. I think he gave them a place to to go public and coalesce. I think it's 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 mm-hmm. that. Listen, my friend, okay. I appreciate the call. I want to get to a couple of other people, but let's hope to speak again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. All right. Excellent. Let me go next to Jade from London. Is this London, England, London, Ontario, London, Connecticut, London, uh, London, England, London, England. All right, Jade, welcome. Hi, I didn't actually think this would happen. This um, this is my first discord ever. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'm glad it's with Um, me. Yeah, me too. Um, So I I'm a bit fascinated at the moment with America. I've never been. Um, you I, hold on. I, let I me let turned... me clarify, Jade. You've never been to America, or you've never before been fascinated with it. Uh, probably both. Both. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Very good. Um, but um, so the election—it essentially turned me nocturnal because I was hooked, um, and that's actually how I found your channel. Um, and so I've—I've <laughs> I've got a theory to run past you, and I think you may be the only one to kind of answer this question. Please. Um, just because it may it may come off as a bit of a conspiracy theory, but um, we know that Trump is in uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. Right. Um, we also now there's reports coming out that he's selling loads of arms to dangerous people all over the jo- all over the shop. Yes. Um, is it my 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 theory is that he is selling all of these things, making backdoor deals and all of these kind of things. And I think he was banking on the fact that he still had four more years as president as president because he may have some sort of payment plan or something like this to pay back all of his debts. Um, And where he doesn't have that anymore, a lot of these things are falling through. And I think that's probably why he's panicking and doing what he's doing and dragging out the inevitable. Well, that's kind of my theory. It's it's not it's not a crazy theory in this sense, Jade, which is. I do think that Trump believes that the 400 or so million that will in debt that will come due over the next four years, he would Mm -hmm. be in a stronger position to either renegotiate or somehow get parts of it written off or something if he were the sitting president rather than a former president. I think that's undeniably true. Now, the specifics about whether the arms deals are related to it or these. I don't know about that. That's definitely more speculative. But I think you're absolutely correct that Trump would rather have 400 million in debt come due while being president than than not. That's a it's a position of power. There's no doubt about that. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, no, because people are talking to me, like, I say these things. My, this theory also, like, slightly stems from the fact that the Simpsons have predicted everything and Trump dying. <laughs> so I genuinely think that this, wow. all of this may push him to the edge. <laughs> That's morbid. Or something That's will happen morbid. to him. But listen, aside, yes. aside from the Simpsons, <laughs> Trump is an overweight, mid-70s guy who hasn't exercised ever. Um, so, I mean, it's not crazy to think that Donald Trump's health may be in question. I, I mean, I don't I, not to get morbid, but it's not a crazy thing to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe that's maybe that's a little bit of wishful thinking, considering that we have our own mini Trump over here. Yeah. Now, of course, look, I would never wish death. Or I, I, I don't know about <laughs> you, Jade. I would never wish death or illness upon anybody. I just want them to go away politically. You might wish death on some. OK, fair enough. I see you hesitating there. OK, Jade, our connection has so just much. gotten very poor, so I really appreciate oh. the call. Hope to hear from you again. There is uh, there's Jade from London whose call I very much appreciate. Uh, that is going to do it for calls today. I'm sorry I was not able to get to more, but we will take calls again. We're going to take a quick break on the podcast, TV show and radio show and be back with much more right after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Did you know the David Pakman Show is on all sorts of different platforms? Find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash the David Pakman Show and on Steemit, the blockchain based publishing platform at steemit.com slash at David Pakman. That's S T double E M I T dot com forward slash at David Pakman. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, let's get into audience questions for the week. This one I got in many forms from a lot of different people. How the hell did Trump gain nearly 10 million votes since 2016, given the disaster of his presidency? This is a really interesting one because there's a couple of different angles to it. Now, at the same time that there are people on the left saying, how on earth would more people vote for Trump this time than last time? You have people on the right saying clearly there was election fraud because there's no way Joe Biden would get so many more votes than Trump had in 2016. Never mind more votes than Trump had in 2020. So you do have people on both sides just looking at the popular vote numbers and saying this is something about this doesn't make sense. The first thing before we even talk about politics and and pandemic economy, all of these different things, it turns out that when it's easier to vote, more people vote. That's what we learned undoubtedly in this election. And when you had increased early voting and most importantly, allowing in just about every state, anybody who wants an absentee ballot to get an absentee ballot and to be able to vote by mail because of the pandemic, because of the risk of catching coronavirus, where previously many states said if you want an absentee ballot, it has to be one of these rules. You physically can't make it. You're out of the country, you know, whatever. We change that logically because of the pandemic to be much more open to whoever wants to just not go to the polls. And it turns out that we were right all along. The left was right all along. There is a desire for more voting in the United States. Not everybody, not 100 percent turnout. But if you make it easier for people to vote, more people vote. 
And that's not a particularly good thing for the Republican Party. But that's part one. So both Donald Trump and Joe Biden got huge amounts of votes never before seen in any presidential election. Then the question becomes a political question, which is given that Trump had his 2016 base and he screwed everything up. I mean, the, he screwed up health care, pandemic response, trade policy, immigration policy. You know, we could go on and on all day. Um, how did he get more people to vote for him this time around? And uh, there's a couple of different things that that we have to account for. No one of these is the answer. Number one, the power of incumbency is a real thing. When we say it's hard to knock off an incumbent president, it's because it's very hard to knock off an incumbent president. When you are the president and you're flying around in Air Force One and people are comparing a president to a non president, that will counteract a lot of the reasons that if you were merely a challenger, people might not vote for you. Uh, this risk averse, don't change horses midstream, uh, particularly for people who are not very politically engaged. It takes a lot more to get people over the hump to vote to remove the existing president. That's just a reality and that's a part of it. The other thing is there are people who wrote to me. They said, you know, one of the things that happened is almost inadvertently Trump ran less and did less racist stuff in the last six to 12 months because of his focus on the virus. I don't know that that's the case. I mean, first of all, from the China plague Kung flu stuff um, to Cory Booker, black senator will end the suburbs and minorities are going to pour in and end the suburbs as you know them. I'll stop low income housing. There were plenty of racist dog whistles going on, but what is true is that there was less Hispanic related xenophobia. Maybe you could make the case Trump didn't run as much on the wall. Remember, the 2016 campaign was launched in 2015 on Trump coming down the escalator and saying Mexico's not sending their bests. We're going to stop uh, the rapists and all these people from coming over. Trump was less overtly about that because he was very worried about uh, uh, other types of xenophobia. And case in point, Trump did end up with a larger share of the Hispanic vote in 2020 than he did in 2016. So I think that that's a factor. The other idea I have is could the virus as as disastrous as Trump's handling was of the virus, could it have somehow in a backwards way helped Trump with minority voters uh, in that there are many working class folks, including those without college degrees. This applies both to white voters without college degrees and minority voters. But Trump already had the white voters without college degrees who saw, hey, this is a good economy, service sector, et cetera, and it's being shut down. And I see Trump fighting to open it. Is there some way in which that resonated not just with Trump's uneducated white base, with the minority uh, voters without college degree, maybe so. But again, it would all be merely by chance. I think that that's the important thing to keep in mind. Bottom line, we have every reason to believe that this number of votes really was cast. Uh, Donald Trump did get millions more votes than 2016. Joe Biden got millions more votes than that and received more votes for president than any candidate in history. Uh, and we will be analyzing those results and thinking about them for much time to come. 
David, I know you think Trump won't be arrested, but will he be investigated when he leaves office? So uh, almost certainly there are going to be investigations of Donald Trump's businesses. There's going to be a lot of financial crime investigation. It's possible that even people close to Donald Trump are going to go down. Uh, but yeah, I still don't think you're, you're ever going to see Trump in prison. There are a lot of people who rightly are feeling uh, that if Donald Trump isn't personally prosecuted, that um, an injustice has been done. And I am not arguing that Trump has done nothing worthy of being investigated and potentially charged with criminality. But this is not a country that does that. And I know that that upsets lots of people. And some people like the fact that this is not a country that every time you get a new president, they investigate, charge and potentially even in prison the previous president. It's not a country that does that. I don't think we're going to see that. What we will see are investigations into Donald Trump's business dealings and financial stuff. I think that Trump's enablers can and should be prosecuted directly when it applies. This includes family. This includes Republican senators. This includes other functionaries, people involved in enabling um, uh, 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 illegal activity, even if it's financially illegal activity, if such activity exists, they should be harshly penalized. As far as Trump goes, I don't think it'll touch Trump. Um, I think there's the real possibility that his businesses will end up having to uh, settle and pay absolutely massive fines. It's conceivable that if you find people involved in Trump's businesses caught red handed with financial fraud, money laundering, whatever, it's possible they may end up uh, convicted. I just don't think it's going to touch Trump and I don't think it's going to be for political crimes. It'll be a, a tax evasion, money laundering, uh, improper use of charities, which Donald Trump has already been been caught doing. I think it will be that type of thing. I do believe that Trump is worried because Trump doesn't know we've we had a few reports from right before the election that part of why Trump is panicking is because he's worried that the rest of his life will be riddled uh, by investigations and maybe he could end up in prison. I just don't think he'll end up in prison. I think it's completely plausible that you do see investigations of different kinds plague the rest of Donald Trump's life. Now, the, on the other side, there's people asking about pardons. Couldn't Trump pre preemptively pardon everybody who's likely to be wrapped up in this? You know, uh, I, I think there's two things that will prevent that from happening. Number one, I don't think Trump really cares about these people. Trump doesn't care about his supporters. It's not clear Trump even cares about uh, his enablers. And uh, that's one part of it. The other part of, of this is Trump has not shown himself to be detail oriented enough to actually figure out who is it that I need to grant blanket preemptive pardons for. So I don't think that Trump will do it. He may do it with some. I don't think he will get to everybody. A and then the other reason I think you are going to see a deluge of investigations and possible charges after Trump is out of office when it comes to his associates is Look at how many Trump associates were convicted while Donald Trump was in office with the Department of Justice encumbered by Trump loyalists running interference. Once Trump is gone and you have a different Justice Department, I think you will see many more Trump acolytes go down. Now, the last thing I want to say about this, Joe Biden shouldn't be involved in this at all. Remember when Trump was saying to Hillary during the 2016 debates, if I was president, you'd, you'd be locked up and we're going to investigate you and all of this stuff. And in fact, while Trump was president, he tried to push the Justice Department. Can't you investigate Biden? Can't you do this? Can't you do that? 
Uh, Joe Biden should have no involvement whatsoever in any possible investigations of anybody associated with Donald Trump. I don't believe Joe Biden will do that. Joe Biden has shown no interest in that. He's shown no willingness to do that. Uh, and to be perfectly frank, even if he liked the idea of being involved in investigations of Trump, Joe Biden's going to have his hands more than full uh, trying to clean up the mess from uh, from from Donald Trump. And uh, he will be plenty busy. And I believe that the next Department of Justice will also be very, very busy. Look at what escaped the Trump bubble while he was president that we learned about in terms of criminality. Imagine what we're going to learn about once he's finally gone. David, do you think Joe Biden has any shot at passing that tax plan? So uh, we talked about this a little bit last week with Nick Majuli from uh, Ritholtz Wealth Management. Uh, I think that there's two scenarios without the Senate. It's just a hard no. I don't see how on earth Joe Biden gets a tax reform done if he doesn't have the Senate. Now, with the Senate, you've got a debate. And what's really important for many of you to understand is that Joe Biden, although he may be to your right, has put out a tax plan that is well to the left of many Senate Democrats who Joe Biden would need to pass tax reform. Um, there are many on the left who are upset that Joe Biden has no wealth tax in his tax plan. A wealth tax is not popular among Senate Democrats if and until the Senate becomes far more left than it is right now. A wealth tax has no chance of passing whatsoever. So you are going to see uh, if Joe Biden gets the Senate, you'll see some provisions that are likely to pass. For example, a return of the top marginal tax rate to thirty nine point six percent. It was dropped to thirty six percent or maybe thirty seven, thirty six, thirty seven under Donald Trump. That would almost certainly go back to thirty nine point six percent. It is seen by the Democratic establishment and to be frank, by some in the in the Republican establishment as something that on paper looks nice. We're raising the top tax rate for the richest people. Uh, many people who are in that top, top tax rate are not um, uh, earning money through wages anyway, so they are not subject to that. You will almost certainly see that uncapping Social Security at four hundred thousand dollars. I think there's no way in hell that that passes, not because of Joe Biden, but because of Senate Democrats. Um, as you may know right now, you pay Social Security tax or you and your employer pay Social Security tax on the first hundred and thirty thousand or so dollars in earnings. And then Social Security tax goes to zero. Once you get past that hundred and thirty thousand, whether you make two hundred thousand a year, a million, ten million a year, you pay zero once you get past that cap. Joe Biden's proposal is at four hundred thousand plus the tax kicks back in and it goes uncapped. I think there is no way in hell that Senate Democrats pass that Senate Democrats are, are just too conservative to see that happen. The increase in the capital gains tax rate. I think that that is a 50 50, but that there are ways it gets done with some negotiation. Uh, and then I think that the stepped up basis provision that Joe Biden um, uh, wants to eliminate is probably a long shot. I won't explain it all now because I've explained it in a number of previous videos. Will there be a new higher tax bracket? So even if you raise the top tax bracket from thirty seven to thirty nine point six percent, as Joe Biden wants to do, many progressive economists and lawmakers say, well, we need a we need a higher tax bracket. Fine. You get into the highest tax bracket at five hundred thousand a year in income. But when you get to two million a year in income, then it should go to 43 percent. 
And when you get to five million a year in income, it should go to 48 percent and you know, so on. Uh, you, you could have that configured a number of different ways. Um, I would be shocked if we saw that again, because the Democratic Party in the Senate right now is well to the right of where Joe Biden has run. Um, and uh, that that's my thought on the major provisions of Joe Biden's tax plan. If Democrats take the Senate, I, I, I just don't see any path forward if Democrats don't take the Senate. If you disagree with me, let me know. I want to hear from you. We've got a great bonus show for you today. Remember, the number one way to access the bonus show is to grab a membership at joinpacman.com. Do it. I'll see you then.